This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 84, talking about Luke Cage, episode 10, Take It Personal. Defenders to episode 84 of Defenders TV Podcast. We're talking about Luke Cage, episode 10, Take It Personal. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. I'm one of your other hosts, John. And ready of the group, I'm Chris. Welcome back, guys. Yep. Yeah, time, to yeah. Get, time to get into episode 10 of Luke Cage. We are we are close to the end here. I know. Yeah. It's, uh, it's certainly coming to a head. Mm. We have Brothers Grimm now, basically. <laughs> yes. Um, what really happened... In that Grand Theft Auto, mm-hmm. yeah, lots of lots of stuff to talk about in this episode. Really, a lot of uh, a lot of extra pieces of information about Luke's past, but I think there's still more to come. Uh, obviously, if you haven't joined us for any podcast previously, we do spoil episodes completely up to the episode that we've watched. So we will be going into full spoiler-filled detail. The way we talk about our episodes is we choose five points and we talk about them uh, completely to spoil the episode. But if you haven't subscribed to our podcast, you can subscribe to us over at DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes for our iTunes link, or just go over there and listen to the podcast on our website, or you can also find us on any good or evil podcast catcher just by searching for Defenders TV Podcast. And if you want to share your thoughts on any episodes that we've talked about, or any episodes that you've seen, just send us an email to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com, or you can come over and chat about them in our group on Facebook at Facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders. TV podcast. Yep, so get yourselves down to Defenders TV Podcast. I think with that, we should move on to our discussion of Take It Personal, episode 10. Derek, who directed and wrote this this episode? Oh, this episode was written by Jason Horridge, who uh, previously wrote Just to Get a Rep, uh, an earlier episode this season, uh, and it was directed by Stephen Sergic, probably the most prolific of our Mar- Netflix Marvel directors. He's done three episodes of Daredevil. He did uh, Shadows in the Glass, uh, Guilty as Sin, and Dot 380, uh, that wonderful episode about uh, about the bullets and, uh, and about the Punisher. Um, he also did two episodes of Jessica Jones, which were, aka The Sandwich Saved Me, a little flashback episode. Oh, that was cool. Love that. That was a cool one. And also You're a Winner. Another one of the really good episodes of, uh, of Jessica Jones. So he's pretty much been on every series so far from, from Netflix. So uh, despite not being a showrunner, he does seem to be heavily involved in the show and, the, and its look. So, um, John, do you want to let us know what they gave us in this episode? Sure. In Georgia, Luke is saved by Claire Temple and Dr. Burstein, only to uncover the conflicting truth about the role of Reva Connors at Seagate Prison's experimental program and her role in choosing him as a test subject. Upset, Luke Cage uncovers further unpalatable revelations about his father's affair with his secretary, Miss Dana Stryker, and the comprehension of his relationship to Diamondback. Back in Harlem, Dillard's and Stryker's association evolves as they seek to bring fear to the streets of Harlem and lay that fear at the feet of Luke Cage. Stryker kills a policeman to frame Cage, and as the police retaliate and get more aggressive in their hunt for Cage, an innocent teenage boy is interrogated and beaten. Mariah takes her opportunity to lay the blame on Luke Cage and the need to arm the community and the police against him. As Luke Cage returns to New York to confront his past, the community of Harlem is starting to fracture along those who believe in Luke Cage and those who fear him and those like him. There's trouble in paradise, I think. There is. A lot of trouble in paradise. Harlem's paradise? 
Harlem's Paradise, absolutely. <laughs> there are fires and witch hunts stoked, being stoked here. Absolutely, yeah. Cornell yeah. stoked, in fact. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a, definitely a lot going on here with uh, with Mariah. She's definitely twisting into a villainous character. Um, the the idea of her trying to get the police armed to take down any form of superhero or a potential supervillain uh, is really interesting. And her twist on what's actually happened with the superheroes that we've watched, like Jessica Jones, is quite interesting, having those kind of opinions coming from Mariah. Uh, yeah, that, that was really kind of interesting, just the way, you know, we had this woman who said that she was being mind-controlled by by the man and just snapped his neck, mm. you know. Th- this kind of dismissive notion of what we have watched in a 13-episode run of, of Jessica Jones, but, you know, to other people, this, this battle that's kind of uh, percolating through all of the Marvel Netflix shows that, um, you know, who has the right to get justice yeah uh, and are these people the the right people to have um have that power in their hands considering how strong they are and of course how they can use uh their super abilities yeah. to 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 kind of uh, bring about justice who is right who is wrong who's the vigilante who who gives out justice so really really good i thought yeah absolutely uh, i've kind of spoiled my, one of my first points actually there <laughs> so <laughs> one of my first points was just that connection to jessica jones and calling out the final scene uh, one of the things that i found just to just to bring it on a little bit further one of the things i found a bit weird there is that there are people that are watching luke cage who haven't watched jessica jones and they've just spoiled the finale of the show so uh, i thought that was a bit of a bit of a shame that they pulled that out there because i'm assuming people that enjoyed luke cage may go back and watch jessica jones if they didn't watch it before and now it's kind of been ruined for them yeah but i don't think they fully know mm. so it's given them such an offhand comment yeah, exactly mm-hmm. it's like it's like the the, the chinese comment in the last episode mm-hmm. of the Chinese gang, which we know is Madame Gao and that they're being destroyed by Daredevil. So we know that that, that what was the comment was referring to. Yeah. In this, so it's blatant. Yeah. But I don't think people will fully understand it. Now, when they go back and watch Jessica Jones yeah. and get to the end, they'll be like, Oh my god. Yeah. They, they mentioned this before. Or, they, or maybe once they get through about two episodes and realize that she's the woman in Hell's Kitchen who is mind controlled. It's, oh, okay. I know what's going to happen at the end of this series. That's a bit of a shame. But, uh, but that was my first point. Chris, do you want to give us your first one? Sure. Um, so I want to open it up to one of the most interesting points that I found in this whole episode, which mm-hmm. was the reveal that Riva had been deceiving Luke. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For pretty much their whole relationship. Yeah, a harlot. So, Absolutely. From, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it's, a, it's a good use of the word. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the word of day dictionary is working, people. I know. It's great. <laughs> word today is H for harlot. <laughs> um, it was just, it was an interesting kind of piece for me here. Okay, so from a directorial point of view, I loved it. Because they started contrasting the videos that they were watching. And then they interspliced the flashbacks we had seen earlier mm-hmm. where she was talking to him. So that was giving great context almost yeah. in terms of the, the almost two-faced view of her. Yeah. And yeah. then they would just, rather than just showing back to the, going to the next piece, like straight away, like it was autoplayed, they show them clicking the next one and the next one and the next one. Yeah. So you, and at that point you could see, um, Luke Cage, Mike Coulter's kind of visage 
dramatically start sinking more. You could hear him sniffling to a degree. Yeah. Which was really interesting. Yeah. And I liked, I like this now because one of the question, open-ended questions we've had for a while is how is or when will Luke Cage get over the death of Riva? Mm-hmm. And this is it. Yeah. Like, this is the point. This is the straw that broke the Riva camel back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm totally with you here. It's kind of one of my points as well. Mm-hmm. But those flashbacks that intercut, um, that video footage along with then the kind of the warmer, uh, or perceived or apparent warmer, uh, Riva, you know, it, it moved from being her as a detached professional picking out a test subject to, um, you know, the, the, even the lighting was different. It, it was warmer. And that idea of can Luke Cage actually believe those memories that he yeah. has of her now? Um, and I, I love the fact that he goes, he still loves the idea of Reva, but he's no longer in love with her anymore. Yeah. That yeah. It, it's, it, it's been dashed on the rocks by yeah. all of those. Absolutely. A really great, um, scene. And uh, I mean, a really good, I think again, departure from the comic book. It mm-hmm. adds further drama. Uh, you know, as you say, each time he was having to say yes, play it, it adds the tension. It adds the yeah. drama. Yeah, on, on something that in itself is really dramatic. That he actually feels a huge amount of betrayal. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, really, really enjoyed this. Um, definitely one of my points as well, Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah and and just Claire's reaction when he keeps saying that he, to play the next one, she knows this is breaking his heart as she's doing it. You know, so um, I like that she's she's trying to kind of go, are you sure? Are you sure you want to know more about this woman that's now dead? She's gone. Do you want to ruin that memory in your head? You know, um, so th- I, I definitely felt the pain in watching this episode. Yeah, definitely felt the pain in watching these scenes. Um, mostly because in episode nine, I said that Reva has now been, uh, released from the, uh, from the cause of Luke Cage. But actually in this episode, it turns out she is the one that, that is responsible for everything that happened to Luke. And she was pushing him into it and manipulating him the whole way through. So this was a bigger reveal for me because I called out in the last episode that uh, I thought she had no responsibility and she yeah. was, she was just the woman he loved. But no, it turns out that she was manipulating him the whole time. Uh, I like. Claire's reaction when he's talking to her going, uh, when Luke says to her, uh, have you ever had somebody in your arms holding them and not knowing what they're thinking? And Claire goes, well, that's just having a boyfriend really, isn't it? Oh, that's <laughs> that's, that's yeah, every really time. Good. Yeah, that's yeah. every relationship. And I love Burstein as well, the way he just said it was her job to lie as well. Mm. I mean, you know, it, it's just so detached and it's so detached uh, and cold in comparison to Luke's memories. And yeah. that's just, um, that was, that was fantastic. Definitely. I thought. Just to kind of close out the chapter of Riva, it feels now that they're starting, now that that is, that chapter is starting to be bookended and closed, Mm -hmm. it feels that they're trying to move towards the Claire Luke romance. Definitely. Which, if you're a shipper and you original Luke Cage fan, yes, that had happened in the comics. Mm -hmm. That's great. But it does feel a bit forced here i don't know i don't know i'm 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 kind of on board with it um particularly because of these kind of scenes here because luke has just released himself i suppose from the love of a woman that he thought was good for him 
uh, and is gravitating towards a woman who's been nothing but honest with him. And he's been nothing but honest with. He's not held anything back from her, really, uh, except for a bit of his past, a bit of his early past, why he is in prison, he hasn't told her. But he is revealing more and more to this woman and he is trusting her more and more. So I can kind of see why they would gravitate together. She's been there constantly for him. Um, and she's helped him out. She's saved him three times now. Yeah, no, I, um, I can understand that. I think whether it should be romantic at this moment mm-hmm. is is another thing entirely. Yeah. yeah. Um, like and and that's why I was really pleased that when they were stood looking out across to the island where Seagate Prison was, and he was kind of giving her some more story and background to to him and Reva and the escape. That when he reached into the pocket, he got the car keys. Yeah, like that was at least the pullback from suddenly holding hands and it becoming a romantic relationship between yeah. the two of yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. It's not that I'm against it developing down the line not at all mm-hmm. but um you know at the moment he really needs to get one of those coffee pod machines because he's making a lot of ladies a lot of coffee <laughs> it felt too forced if they hadn't made a kiss there yeah. yeah i see them as being bffs right i think I, there's more to it i know but yeah. i think i think that this had been any other show they would have slept together in episode episode six you know they're they're close enough for that to have happened and i think they're they're holding back on it, but I do think by the end of this season that the two of them will will be together um, in but, a relationship. But then, how does that play out for defenders? Isn't it interesting? Because on this show, the in, in the comic books, if you don't know, Luke Cage is married to Jessica Jones. They have a kid together. Um, in the TV version of their relationship, is she was the rebound chick that shot him in the head with a shotgun, you know? So they can they can kind of play with that whatever way they want to. They can spend another three or four years setting up whether they will ever get back together or not. I'm presuming it will be something that comes into Defenders. It'll be difficult for Luke to join up with his ex girlfriend who did that to him. Um, but now that he's released the the pressure on the woman that killed Reva. You know, um, possibly that could open the path for them to start okay. up a relationship again. But yeah, I know it, 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 it's, it is a TV thing. You do always have to have a relationship when there's a, a single guy on a TV show. They're always going to meet some kind of relationship coming up. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I know there is the yeah. kind of trope there, but I think they're skirting around the edges of it. They're not, it's not the main path of these two characters. They are becoming really good friends. They're getting to know each other really well and they are being very honest with each other, which is something that Luke needs. Uh, in his life after Riva. Okay. I okay, I, I agree. I see those points. I, I I concede to your points there, and I agree. It just, I think it feels too early. So if if by episode 13, maybe, mm-hmm. there's an idea there that let's go for coffee, then, and she goes, I don't drink coffee, and they still walk together. Right. That would be funny, and yeah. that would be a good end, because then we haven't seen, if we've seen the birth, the gestation period mm-hmm. of it, not the... The, the 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 culminating moment of every time that Missy Knight says she went to get coffee, yeah. we have a flashback scene. <laughs> well, I do I do like that Claire has already turned him down on his offer of coffee. She did say, "I'm not sleeping with you. Don't yeah. <laughs> don't offer me that again." So, but then uh, so you she'll never say know. yes uh, next time. You never know. You never know. Uh, John, do you want to take us on with your next point? Yeah, it's the toaster method of resuscitation um, for for Luke Cage. Um, I just loved the fact that, uh, you know, it was chuck the electrical piece of kit into uh-huh. the bath of acid so that, um, we get his heartbeat back. You know, we see him at the end of uh, episode nine clenching his fist as the ECG flatlines. And here we have a quick resolution to it, uh, to be, to be honest. Um, but I, I just kind of liked it. I, I liked the fact that, um, 
it, it, it plays out like that. It was kind of offhand. It was fairly comic booky, and I kind of liked that. The only thing I was slightly unsure of was that, um, you know, it was actually really tense the way they were pulling out the shrapnel, but it looked to me as though they, they only removed the shrapnel from, from one wound. Mm. It didn't, I couldn't really see that it's, it looked like they had taken the, the shrapnel from the, the wound to his, um, his belly. Mm-hmm. And not to his shoulder. Yeah. Um, yet after the event, it cut to Claire Temple, um, sort of dressing the wound on his shoulder. It's only a little bit of continuity, but it, it felt like there was a continuity error there. Yeah. I, I would have preferred to see like them moving on to the next one saying we're running out of time, whereas it was all around one. Yeah. So, um, it was kind of a, it, that felt a little, um, out of kilter with the reality of him having two bullet wounds. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, I really kind of, um, like that. And I love the little gag at the end where he wakes up and he goes, who are you? Um, you know, really nice little gag, just playing on that, that usual thing. And it's like, yeah, really good. You yeah. just see Claire Temple's face, um, go, Oh God, is this really happening? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, really nice little gag. Yeah. No, for me, I felt. As you said, this is cartoony. Mm-hmm. This was the, the mad scientist, like weird science type of bit of activity <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Because I think the biggest thing is what was the, the signifying piece that fixed the whole bath? Was it just the salt? Salt and temperature. Yeah. Okay. So where did the salt come from in the previous experiment? No, I think probably that it was already part of the fluid. Mm. I mean, you, okay, you, you yeah. don't know, but yeah. Um, yeah. I think it was the salt and the temperature. I, and I think actually it was more the temperature that, rather than the salt. It is a very weird thing because it, it was something that's, that Dr. Burstyn said. He specifically said the one thing I couldn't control was the temperature. It was turned up to the high level by the crazy uh, prison yeah, guard. Yeah, Rackham. Why they didn't test that in the first version of the experiment? Because he knows that was the thing that caused it. He said it. Uh, it was only Claire coming back to him this time going, um, remember you said about the temperature, you need to turn it all the way up. Kind of going, well, he knows that himself, but maybe it just takes someone like her to go, look, your original experiment didn't work. It only worked because of the explosions that were going on uh, in in there. But yeah, uh, again, what we talked about in the last episode about uh, Claire stepping up to be not just the nurse, to be something more um, and something more valuable for these kind of experiments or for these superheroes uh, comes out again in this episode. Yeah, because like he, she takes the doctor's seat mm-hmm. when she's taking out the piece of shrapnel, yeah, and he hands her the instruments. Yeah, so again, that was the character. That was the point where he went. Now, okay, now she's the doctor. He's the assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, she's stepping up, definitely. Yeah, it just felt a bit. I don't know for a show so grounded in reality. Um, this part just felt slightly out of kilter, right? With the the overall look and feel. Saying that we got a man in tiara with yeah. bracers in the last point, so I need to suspend a lot of belief. And I think I even found that pretty cool. But I think that's more nostalgia uh-huh. versus I don't know. It just I think it was probably the piece that John was talking about in terms of the bullet because we all went what, huh? Um. It was just too too quick. And again, the toaster, really. really <laughs> I like that. I like that. I know, but it's a trope. It is. It's a, it's but like, it would have been. It would have been slightly better. No, she it, had it, to no. rip the wires out to- and then did that. Toaster or curling tongs or hair dry in the bath is a trope to kill someone. To kill someone. Yeah. Not to bring them back to life. Yeah. 
So it's a reverse. Okay, so a reverse trope. Okay. Yeah. okay. Much like the Who Are You uh, to Claire, again, a reverse trope. It's, uh, yeah. It would have been standard for him to wake up after that experience of effectively dying and not have any memory. That's kind of a standard thing they would have done in these types of shows if they were released in the 90s or the 80s. Yeah, but I think as well, coming back to the Bernstein and Claire aspect, I think, you know, Bernstein or Bernstein, I keep calling I keep wanting to call him Bernstein, but it's Bernstein. Uh, like, he's too close to the experiment, plus he's, he's been away from it. I think he's going, it needs to be controlled and so on. And so he saw Rackham's um, sort of involvement as completely messing around with the parameters. And I think with Claire, she's going much more from gut. Mm-hmm. She's kind of going, but it, you talked about this. Whereas he's kind of thinking that was an outlier. That yeah. wasn't supposed to happen He's still thinking that his experiment worked. He wasn't seeing it as a result of Rackham's intervention. Mm-hmm. Whereas Claire, it kind of brings him back to that. And that's probably just because he was so close to it or something like that. Yeah. And Claire is working off gut here. Um, but I kind of like that semi-professional recognition where he goes, you know, do you want to work with me? Now, she's yeah. not going anywhere near that kind of uh, thing. But I, I kind of like that as well. Yeah, there was a bit of a creepy moment for me where Claire says to him, you'll never see Luke again, you know that. And you'll never see this uh, this memory stick again, you know that. And he goes to her, but you never said you. You never said I'll never see you again. It's like, <laughs> okay, okay, step back, man. Step back. And yes. she does say to him, uh, you do realize that if you'd done anywhere close to half the things you did to that guy, I would have killed you myself. So a very clear, definite, defined moment there for Claire that she doesn't want to go anywhere near this guy. I kind of like Burston in this episode. It's kind of my one of my points. We've talked about a lot of it, to be honest, but uh, one of the things I like about him is his, his um, half-lie to them, uh, where Luke goes, you're obviously being monitored by the people from Seagate, and he goes, I'm barely being monitored at all, which is a half-lie. He talk- that, that means he is being monitored. <laughs> he's, he's very clear about the fact that he is being monitored to Luke. Um, but he's not lying. He's, he's kind of saying, you know, I'm barely being watched by them. Why would they kill, continue to watch me? But they are continuing to watch them. So that may come back as well. There may be people involved in the Seagate experiments that are, uh, that are fully aware of what's been happening, uh, with Luke. So, uh, but I like Burston in this episode. It's a, it, he's, he's an interesting character. I'm not sure whether we're going to see him again, but that moment where he looks at his laptop and does actually have a copy of all the files from Reva, a big moment. I'm presuming he's going to continue on with his experiments. So if we don't see him for the rest of the season, we will see him back in future at some point. Absolutely. And one of the things is, you know, it's all military. Mm -hmm. It's all military experimentation. You know, he's talking about the battlefield. He does go on to talk about how it could then be applied to other things like cancer and HIV and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, one of the interesting things here is... We have Nuke, potentially, from Jessica Jones, again involved in military experiments. Is this another kind of tentacle or thread here that that links uh, the military into a number of these different Marvel Netflix shows yeah. that we might see... Um, Come to come to a head in Defenders, for mm-hmm. example, or Punisher, uh, you know, or yeah. Punisher, along with some of the other threats like the Hand uh, and other mystical, crazy features like uh, Big Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, the the bit on this that I saw, uh, I looked up after seeing that the files were redone again is about who Bursine also gave powers to mm-hmm. in the comics, right? And none other than. Luke Cage's brother. Right. In the comic books, gets powers from Bernstein. Interesting. Now, they're two different characters, Diamondback and 
uh, Luke Cage, I think it's something J- Cage Jr. Right. Um, are two different characters, but they meld them together in this. So I'm wondering at the end of this, when Diamondback gets sent to prison, mm-hmm. is one of the closing scenes bursting going into the room with him and closing the uh, the, the the medical examination room. Right. right. And Maybe. Th- th- that's it. That's all we see. Yeah. Uh, because Diamondback getting powers could lead to a great piece of, for the defenders. Because I was thinking about, imagine they brought all the big bads back. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I don't know if you can bring Kilgrave back. Apart from Kilgrave, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you, you could bring someone uh, mm-hmm. similar. But you have Kingpin, you have Diamondback, you have Madame Gao, mm-hmm. and then we have um, the Hand and um, Nobu. Yeah. And then potentially someone a bit more Jessica, so we could figure they could figure potentially crazy um, Typhoid Mary. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then you've got a character from every one. I'm not sure we're going to get Nobu back either, <laughs> to be honest. I think maybe Electra could take his place. Yeah, potentially, maybe. yeah. I think I'll go on to one of my other points there, which is that Stryker actually does create his own superpowers in this episode, which is quite interesting. The glove that he's got, which, uh, which looks like an old gaming glove from, uh, from the nineties, uh, that he's powered up with, uh, with an iron fist, basically, um, to replicate Luke Cage's power. Um, it's what he uses to kill the cop, to punch him across the table and across the street, basically to kill him. Um, I thought that was quite interesting that, that not only does Stryker have a bullet that can take out superpowered, uh, individuals, he also has a glove that can replicate the superpowers that Luke Cage has. So, um, so while he not, may not get, uh, get burst out in future. Um, he does have some abilities here that will hopefully play into a battle between those two characters in future. Absolutely, yeah. No, that was really interesting, actually. I thought it looked kind of Tron-y, mm. um, actually Tron-esque. A bit like Tron, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the movie, just in case everybody yeah, doesn't absolutely. know what Tron-y is. <laughs> Tron-y. Uh, this was actually one of my points as well, mm-hmm. but I'm taking it from a different side in that this annoyed the hell out of me. <laughs> really? It was so cartoon villain I'm going to frame my, my, the protagonist of this. Mm-hmm. How dare he? Um, like it was, it's something we would have seen in previous Spider-Man comics and mm-hmm. cartoons. Like it's consistently happening. How many times has Spider-Man been framed? Um, or for the death of someone or yeah. this was probably more done from a very much social point in that, oh, black man in a hoodie, uh, killed the cop. Yeah. So like that's a bad thing. So that's where that, that part came from. Mm-hmm. But, or, Black man and hoodie all look the same. It must be the guy we were looking for. Right. Um, but it just felt so 1990s. It's like, I think they did this in the Flash one, in one of the old Flashes, mm-hmm. when they, that 90s run. I'm pretty sure they framed him in that. Yeah. I can see what you mean, but I, I don't think you should project uh, the Spider-Man overuse of this onto the Luke Cage's... Uh, Use. I mean, I, I get it. Like, Spider-Man's yeah. always been framed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the thing they do. And I know you're a big fan of Spider-Man. And yeah. so I'm sure that that must, um, sort of get to you a bit. But I, I think, um, this is Luke Cage. And I think within the storyline of Mariah and Stryker, it makes sense. Yes. Yeah. It makes sense for him to do some kind of framing. I didn't necessarily think he would be the one to go out and do it to put him on the front line because ultimately it gets him recognised by Misty Knight and Bailey, Justin Swain's character, the forensic guy from uh, the police station. You know, they come back with a file that has Willis Stryker. It certainly leads to Misty Knight 
delving further. So, yeah. you know, he, he's put himself on the line to, to do that. Um, but it, it, it plays into a larger thing of taking down the vigilantes and fueling what Mariah does, um, within the other parts of this episode. Yeah. And in, the, in this case, I, I suppose if you've got a show where you're not going to have Luke going up against a supervillain, uh, someone that is super powered, um, I suppose you kind of have to have somebody that can replicate in some way his powers that, so that he can feel like a real villain against him. I think we talked earlier on in episode three or four about what happens when, um, when Cottonmouth and, uh, Luke Cage face off because Luke could just crush him with one punch or kick him out a window and kill him instantly. So there are some pieces here that are being set up for Diamondback so that he possibly can go toe to toe with a fully powered Luke Cage as he's already healing and he's coming back to power. So, um, so I like that they're, I like they're doing it. I think it's, I think it's kind of the only way you could go if you need to set up your villain as being possibly against Luke Cage. Absolutely. I think one of the other things I, I just wondered is, you know, in the comics, Luke Cage does get experimented on again and gets additional kind mm-hmm. of, you know, it kind of, uh, ups his energy bar yeah. and so on. I wonder if, this process that's happened down in Georgia in the barn, mm-hmm. I wonder if that's actually made him even more unbreakable. It's, it's enhanced his yeah. uh, regenerative properties. It's enhanced his strength um, and all of that. Maybe. And it would be interesting to, to see if, you know, maybe Stryker uses that bullet on him again, but actually it doesn't burrow into him because by virtue of going through that experiment again, it's further enhanced his powers like has happened in the comic book. I mean, there's no mention of that here. Yeah. So it may not have done, you know, it's purely to, to serve getting the shrapnel out of his body. Yeah. But I wonder if there's any side effect. Yeah. They don't do any post experimentation tests or anything to find out whether it's, um, put him back to his previous abilities or better abilities. Yeah. Interesting one. John, do you want to take us on with your next point? Yeah, um, in, in the good old tradition of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, um, he has a brother, um, in the same way that Robin Hood finds out that Will Scarlet is his brother. Um, so we find that. Wow. I, I know. That's a deep cut. I, I know, didn't even know that. I know. Um, I, never, I never would have made that connection. I have a brother. I, you know, I kind of, I think Kevin Costa really oversells his acting chops in in, in that scene it, but i kind of like Amer- it with his american robin hood yeah, yeah. i kind of like it and i, I kind of i liked um that's what that's what this took me to was robin hood prince of thieves exactly um each to their own i suppose but uh yeah he has a brother and his brother is uh willis striker i really liked the the flashback to oh yeah um to the and and the I really like the flashback to the um the church mm-hmm. of Pastor James Lucas, his father, who actually sounds like a terrible father and a terrible pastor. Or a terrible um, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, here we see him remembering elements of his childhood. I love in particular the moment where uh the young Luke Cage sees Dana coming out of his father's office in, in the chapel. And, um, just within the mirror, you see a fully grown Luke Cage. I think mm-hmm. that's a real nice touch very to, cool. to, to do there as she's buttoning back up her, her top. Uh, but this is a, just some nice little sort of 
slides put in here showing that um you know ultimately his father did not practice what he preached and was fairly awful to his um to his own wife Mm -hmm. and also to his two sons i mean you you we've heard that you know he really was really judgmental to to luke and with Willis Stryker, obviously he didn't want anything to do with him because of how presumably he was conceived and yeah. born after the fact. Uh, but this was a really nice touch. It really brought this back. It'd be really interesting now to see how like that really has impacted on Willis Stryker. What it needs is for Luke to confront him and for mm-hmm. them to have that out. Yeah, they, uh, it really does. So I'm hoping that that's coming next episode or uh, at least the episode after because we've not got long left now. Yeah. And I'm sure it is. But I wonder as well, I know there was Grand Theft Auto. Uh, we see why they were both put into prison. But mm-hmm. um, was that Seagate or was that an earlier time as well, because I'm wondering in Seagate with a strike, I don't think was there, mm-hmm. not that we know so far. So he framed Luke Cage. Was it the murder of his own father? Is his dad actually dead? Interesting. I don't know, yeah. but um, I just wondered with a striker is hugely cut up by this. Yeah. I suspect he may have gone all types of crazy on his, his biological father, James Lucas, you yeah. know? Yeah. So this is, this well, is really a great little um, scene just to develop that story more, but also just in terms of thinking about what might come down mm-hmm. the line. Definitely. Yeah. Well, the car theft, did seem to be a much younger crime that happened when they were much younger. Yeah, I think definitely. it was when they were about 17 or 18. It's kind of, is kind of called out in the article, uh, that they are a bit younger. Um, so it probably wasn't what got him, got him sent to Seagate, especially because remember Carl Lucas's sentence was for 92 years. I don't think you get that for stealing a, a 93, uh, Chevrolet. Pretty unlikely that you get it for year a car for theft. Every year of the, the car. <laughs> maybe, maybe, or the, the, a, a year for the year. A year for the year it was produced, which is a very weird, uh, very weird connection between the two things. Um, so I think there is something bigger. Uh, I think that's why why Carl was sent to prison. But um, but yeah, I, I I knew I wanted a flashback in this episode. I knew I wanted more information about Luke's past, and I think this was done really really well. Definitely one of my favorite scenes in the episode because it felt like a stage play. Uh, we've talked about that with some other scenes in the past, but this is the one that really felt like you were sitting in a theater watching people use everything in the environment to transition time. You know, you see his father go into the back office uh, when his mother's leaving. You see um, you see Ms. Stryker uh, following the father and then coming back out later and then having an argument with his mother, all in different periods of time, all yeah. like over the passage of months, possibly. Um, but all taking place right in front of the view of Luke Cage. I thought it was a really stylistic way of telling that story in a very short period of time. Yeah, and I mean, that confrontation is going to happen. I love the the final kind of um, moment where Luke Cage goes, I'm my brother's keeper, whether I like it or not, it's on me. Yeah. So uh, this is really interesting. Doesn't um, it feel like if the two of them sat down and had a reasonable conversation, they could probably work <laughs> out... Well, my father hated me, so there's no point in taking out your hate from my father on me, you know. Um, if they had a reasonable conversation, if Willis Stryker wasn't crazy, because he's looking to kill Luke no matter what, or toy with him and then kill him because of what his father did. Um, but they'll never have that reasonable, reasonable conversation. It just can't happen with someone like Willis Stryker. Yeah, no, it's gone beyond that, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Unless you did something like Dr. Shivago, psychologist to the superheroes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously, tell so Luke, tell me all about it. And then he goes up to Stryker. 
Mr. Stryker, where on the doll? <laughs> <laughs> on that note, <laughs> Chris, do you want to give us your next point? Yeah, so my point um, on this one is uh, rest in peace, Carl Lucas. Uh, long mm-hmm. live Luke Cage. Absolutely. So yeah. this seems like a, 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 this is a definitive turning point in the origin of Luke Cage. Yeah. He is, he is dead. He is done with, um, his previous life. He's no longer running for it or from it, I should say. He is now fully invested in being the Luke Cage persona that he has built over years. Mm-hmm. And he's more, more to the point. I think this is also him becoming the the final hero that we knew he, he will be and will become uh in Harlem yeah. and within the greater boundaries of Harlem like Hell's Kitchen etc because he sees it's very much a beginning of the third act piece where the the hero discovers his inner power mm-hmm. and decides to go go forth and kind of save the world. Yeah. So yeah. this was the, that, that turning point. I think it, it was a good thing to say. Yeah. It was the way it was delivered was fantastic. Um, it's just, I found it, it was nice capstone on that. That is the end of Carl Lucas and the yeah. story outside of the brother piece. And like now it's just all about Luke Cage. Yes, absolutely. Like I know we've had that scene in the earlier episode where he spoke uh, to the media and said, I'm Luke Cage. Uh, but now it feels like he's embracing that much more. Yeah. He's very much saying that past with Carl Lucas is done. I'm finished with it, regardless of what other people think. We will get the Willis Striker continuing to call him Carl, obviously, in future. Um, but he's now making that final break with it and going, I'm now the powered Luke Cage. Absolutely. I'm not Carl. I'm Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. And then he goes Bond crazy. Right. So this is one of my points. I'll take it on Ooh. from here. I thought this was, this was a bit weird. So you kind of, you see what he's trying to do and you see what the makers are trying to do, but it's like they're trying to protect the set or something. Luke Cage does not destroy enough here to put an end to Burstyn's career. It's very clear that he's trying to do that. He knocks out, um, knocks out a big, uh, a big pole that's holding up the barn. He knocks out a bit of the door. He smashes a computer monitor and knocks the tower to the floor. But if he really wanted to destroy Burstyn's equipment, and make sure that he doesn't do these kind of experiments again. That didn't look like that's what he was trying to accomplish. Just felt like a bit of a weird moment. Yeah. Um, you would expect him to go full Hulk smash uh, at this moment where he's realizing that Burston does want to use this for building a super army uh, on the battlefield where people will be able to recover instantly from other gunfire, you know? Um, you kind, I kind of see what they were trying to do, but it just didn't, the scene didn't work for me just purely because of that, because they didn't destroy enough in the barn. You could clearly see it was telegraphed so simply that one scene later, Burston will just plug in another computer and get access to all the same information he had. This hasn't slowed him down at all. He now has all the information available to him immediately and has a working lab where he, which he's just used to cure Luke Cage. With so. a new window. With a new window. Because if you knocked <laughs> exactly. it, he threw the plough uh-huh. through the wood. And I was like, okay, yeah. uh, not the bath? Yeah. Like, is that not going with it? Yeah. No, no, no. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very, very weird. It mm-hmm. was, and I say, I, it probably was a set piece maybe yeah. in terms of, okay, we can't destroy too much of this because we need to use it again. <laughs> maybe. Or maybe. something like that. But he, yeah, he also knocked the one beam first. And then when he was running with the plough, he knocked out sides of the doors yeah. and then knocked down two, four, six other poles. Oh, really? And then throws out the thing. And I'm right. like, 
What is keeping the roof up? <laughs> I, I must say, I had that as well. Yes. And the moment he goes through the, the first set of doors, I think just before that, you've got uh, Burstein and Claire hiding behind that. Yet when he runs through it, they're not there anymore. Right, right. But it's kind of like, because I thought, oh my God, he's going to take off Bernstein's head or something. Right. Uh, but yeah, I was thinking, what? is keeping this thing up. I think the only thing that's keeping the barn up is suspension of disbelief. That's about it. (laughs) Um, But yes, that's my one, my one negative for the episode is just that barn destruction because I would have felt, I would have liked to have seen Hulk smash, Luke Cage smash uh, in here and I didn't think they went far enough on it. Um, John, do you want to take us on with your next point? Yeah, who needs trust when you have power? Nice. Um, Mariah at her most manipulating, spinning, and flipping best. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely loved um, her evolution with Diamondback um, at his base. Um, I'd love to know, does he have a backer? You know, how does he get in his hands on this stuff? Is it just, you know, the hammer equipment is loose in the market? Or... Is his connections something deeper, more nefarious, uh, in, in fact? So I, that, that was kind of interesting to me. But I love here the evolution of this narrative that she generates to bring about a situation where um, they can propose these types of weapons to the police. Yes. Um, and in fact, I think to the wider community for their own defense and mm-hmm. that, you know, we have the, the shootout in paradise at, at Harlem's paradise, all this because of it being stoked by Mariah. Um, and I, I really, really liked it. You know, again, she has another fantastic speech. Uh, outside on the steps of of the police precinct mm-hmm. i think priscilla calls it her i have a dream moment yeah. you know and you really get this this idea of her uh, you know she talks about lonnie the teenager being beaten in custody like it's 1956 yeah. you know, with um the whole segregation down in alabama and the south but also sort of you know the 50s and 60s in in harlem is characterized by things like the rent strikes the there were race riots in the 60s but mm. also you know a huge era in politics in, in the usa uh with you know the martin luther king yeah. um and uh malcolm x as well which we see in the opening title so a massive reference to you know, significant era in, in U.S. black politics. Yes. Um, it's and- very much saying, in a couple of moments in this, it's very much saying that because you are suspecting Luke Cage, a black man, of this crime that is tainting us all with that, uh, with that stick and pushing us all back 60 years in our progress as a society. So totally on the side of Mariah's concept here, but because you see the back end of it, because you see what that Diamondback pushed her into doing it so she can sell guns... It's it's one of those frustrating things where you can see the people of Harlem will be rallying around Mariah because of her speech here. But we know the nefarious reason behind it is that she wants to sell more guns. Absolutely. But I think as well, she's also trying to make that distinction that, yes, Luke Cage is black, but he's also different yes. because he's super powered along the lines of, you know, the the devil in Hell's Kitchen mm-hmm. and, and this this crazy lady who says that she's being manipulated yeah. by mind control. So the, like the, she's also trying to differentiate him as Absolutely. well from the community in Harlem, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I did try and find something specifically on, on 1956, some event, and the only one I could find was 
I think it was Orthrene Lucy. She was the first black student to be admitted into Al- the University of Alabama. Yes. But she was effectively um, suspended because of riots occurring, I presume, in Alabama, in the state of Alabama, but probably mm-hmm. maybe across the wider um southern USA, yeah. um well, southeastern USA. So um you know, maybe that's the specific reference, but also the fifties and sixties being huge political um significance in, in the politics of, of Harlem. So um I just thought this was really good because um just how she manipulated the the situation. And again, just an absolute standout um sort of speeches, but also phrases. I mean I just loved it when Willis uh, turned to Mariah uh, in the club after she had said that, you know, you're out of control. And he goes, you're speaking as though you aren't in the presence of death. Mm. You know, some really great uh, lines here. Yeah. uh, I think. I also love that he calls her out. He he says to her, you're not a real politician because a real politician would be able to make this work for her. Yeah. Uh, And it's it's exactly what you need to do with someone like Mariah to to manipulate them. You tell them you're not a real politician and boom, they're right on your side. You've twisted them right round to your way of thinking. Um, Another great thing, and I'll have to give credit to, to Stephen Sergic for for this, the director. Um, the I love how the speech is cut with her talking to Priscilla and to Misty. Um, so Mariah is saying some of her speech to Priscilla and Misty, the the uh, police chief and, and Misty Knight, uh, and then it's cut with the speech to uh, to the press. I think that's a really cool way of doing the speech. It's not just her standing on a pulpit talking. She's also almost practicing it in front of two people in the uh, in the police department. Um, it does have probably the most um, incendiary line in this particular episode. We talked about it in episode nine. And I think I mentioned it to Chris just after watching the episode. Um, her line to Priscilla, where she says, I thought you were one of us. I thought you were black, but no, you're blue. And that makes you whiter than a, you're as white as everyone else, which is a really incendiary way of speaking about the police officers. Um, it's something that I must admit I saw on Twitter when there was uh, when there was some of the shootings that were happening across America with some of the reactions people going you're not you're not black anymore because you're a police officer that makes you white that makes you blue a different race almost to the rest of us kind of thing yeah it's a really interesting thing and I suppose again we do have a slight balanced put on it here because um the cop who's killed his partner you can see him going really angry you can see priscilla trying to calm him down and, and all of this and he does say the line the good people of harlem don't have a problem with me it's only the assholes. Yeah. like it, it's the notion that you know he's also trying to say this is being stoked 95 percent of people are fine you know i've worked like he says i'm from brooklyn i've worked with people from different cultures different communities before yeah and it's not these people that have a problem with me as a white officer it's the people who are going to try and elevate this into uh, an issue yeah yeah and there's that angle of this debate as well being brought out here which i found interesting Mm -hmm. like and because it is it's quite sensitive and for it to be tackled so blatantly now in the this episode and the last one it is absolutely to the the credit of uh, this show. Absolutely. No, completely. And um, on the line itself, I found it delivery was blunt, but it was jarring. It was delivered for that reaction. Yes. That was the point of it. Yeah. Um, 
And then just the overall, in terms of Mariah, I still think she's one of the best character developments out there. Absolutely. Like, this is the, the full evolution. It's on level with Vincent D'Onofrio mm-hmm. as Kingpin. Yeah, as, definitely. Uh, Wilson Fisk. Just quickly on that, there's part of me, I don't have an issue with it, but it is almost as though, for me, uh, Mariah Dillard's character and even Misty Knight's character, I actually feel are being developed Somewhat better than Luke Cage's, actually. Interesting. Um, to, to some extent, in, in terms of really getting under their skin mm. and getting to know them. Um, maybe it's maybe more intense and, and, and more complete. And, you know, Luke Cage's is ultimately being spread out over the full 13 episodes. Yeah. But, and, um, and the episodes of Jessica that we saw him in as exactly. well. Exactly. Yeah. So, but it, it's something that if the writers aren't careful, could introduce a bit of imbalance in, in in terms of the characters, I reckon. Maybe, but um, I'm completely with you. I think her arc and development is superb in this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely on a par with Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah, and I think with Misty as well. Um, I'm absolutely enjoying her arc as well. Yeah, agreed. I, I, just one of the things that I think we've said it before, but just to repeat. Marvel Netflix do villains so well. They really yeah. do villains so well. And Mariah is just another example of that. Again, like Kilgrave, uh, like Cornell Stokes, um, all developed really, really well as characters. But I can see what you mean. There's, there is a lot of Mariah Dillard and of Misty Knight in the show and a bit more of uh, Luke Cage just being Luke Cage as he is. Not a huge amount of movement in the character, I suppose, no, in a way. But the, the character is also very stoic mm-hmm. in comparison to two very fiery, emotional characters yeah although yeah. that said in this episode we we did have the revelation that the woman he loved was not the person he thought of yeah. and the revelation that uh, that the person who's trying to kill him is his brother uh, and that his father treated him really poorly when he was a kid as well so um so there is quite a few revelations from from luke cage but i think just the evolution of mariah's character and especially in this kind of episode where she's pushed into it again by striker uh it's just maybe a bit more uh illuminated than luke cage's story is so some of the revelations for him are are huge as well but her evolution from episode one all the way up to episode 10 just seems much bigger absolutely i mean yeah there's obviously big revelations as well in the story here um yeah it's it's just kind of it's kind of a just a minor note and i think it's just across the series so far Mm. i think it's that aspect to it not necessarily specifically for this episode do you think we're just getting better characterization luke cage maybe of some of the surrounding characters i think it might just be that actually it's it's almost like three main characters and actually a fourth with cottonmouth who Mm -hmm. you know is no longer there but that there are these four main characters all interacting Mm -hmm. as uh as equals and i think as well it's probably down to luke's own kind of character you know he is more humble that comes across he is a listener he is um you know according to reva he's educated he's silent he is more brooding so that gives um a different quality to his character i suppose which sometimes with all these different characters um jostling around uh yeah the louder ones maybe come to get more noticeable Yeah. yeah yeah It'd be interesting to see if they take this approach with the likes of Karen Page mm-hmm. in Daredevil Season 3. Yeah. Because that's a, one of the, the resounding comments we've all had about this character for two seasons so far is that they keep taking her to a point and then they don't really 
evolve her. They yeah. don't make her learn from her mistakes too too much. And we still have, after two full seasons of Daredevil, we still have her past hidden. That yeah. She keeps referring to, or keeps being referred to, that she has a big past, that something happened in her past. They're going to have to make that revelation pretty big to stand alongside characters like Misty Knight and uh, Mariah Dillard. Really. Yeah. yeah. No, and it's the only way. Saying that, we still had Foggy. Foggy's to a degree evolved mm. as well. But I, feel- I think they learned how that you can build a show about mm-hmm. a superhero who has the spotlight. Yeah. But while also illuminating the supporting characters. Yeah. If you look back at season one of Daredevil, uh-huh. it was about Matt. Yes. With his seg side characters. Yeah, it feels like the other characters are kind of propelled through their own storylines because of everything that Matt does. Yes. In both seasons, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah to agree. I yeah. And I, th- I think now... Like maybe, which... maybe the reason why Frank Castle stood out so much in season two is because he did have his own arc that wasn't really being pushed by Matt. No. And I think that's yeah. the thing we've learned. Like, it's the same with even Wilson. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Fisk's storyline was propelled by his own self-propulsion yeah and i think that's what they i think they're now learning that Mm -hmm. and i think that's that's great okay we're four seasons into three shows yeah and that's fine because as long as they do this for punisher they do this for daredevil season three jessica jones season two and defenders i'm happy don't forget iron fist oh (laughs) oh, yeah that thing uh, that's going to be amazing. It's going to be brilliant. Uh-huh. <laughs> Looking forward to that one. Yeah, uh, I think we're close to final points here, guys. Yep. Um, who ha- who wants to take a final point? So I'll kick off because I'm feeling this is going to be on a lot of ours. Uh, the shootout. Yes. Actually, in Harlan's Paradise. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. interested to see where this goes. First of all, visually great. Yeah. Fantastic. Not so much strikers comment uh, to Missy just as he shoots her. That scene again. It's a Joker esque approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms, he likes of, to hide guns behind his back. Yeah, he? a lot. I'm thinking. Uh, I'm wondering if they just should have put his a holster on his back or something. Or he, he has two back pockets, and when he's walking, mm-hmm. you just see these silhouettes of guns. Something like that. Yeah. Um. But okay. Great. So Misty shot two shots. Mm-hmm. One definitely hit. We're not yep. sure about the second one. Then Luke jumps in, jumping over the banister. He doesn't actually even jump over the banister. He jumps. Through the banister. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was visually great. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just quite funny. And then the, the, the one piece I have is what about Claire? Yes. So yes. this is a full on shootout mm-hmm. and he's protecting Misty. That's fine. Claire was in the corner. Yeah. It's like, uh, I know. Yeah. I know. He's completely covering Misty and saying to her, I've got you. You know, that the one of his phrases, really, one of Luke's uh, kind of catchphrases is, I've got you. So he's protecting her completely. And yeah, the other person he brought along with, <laughs> with to the rally, effectively, is left to fend for herself. We know Claire can take care of herself. Yeah, she's street smart. Yeah. Definitely. And um, we see Mariah getting whisked out of there by, um, her security. Um, I'd love to see what happens between her and the other council, mm-hmm. councillor guy from the, from the same party. I have a feeling he might come to a sticky end. Yeah. Uh, boiled in treacle or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I'm. Can I wrap in my final point there? Yeah, because yeah. it is about that discussion between, between the two of them. This whole sequence from, from Mariah standing up on stage of, uh, of Harlan's Paradise, much like many bands have done since the beginning of the show, uh, standing up in front of them and, and rallying the crowd around, around, uh, her thoughts and her ideals. And then the counselor trying to take her down a peg saying, I know what you're doing here. And he has pieced the whole thing together, which I think is quite interesting. But if you've pieced the whole thing together, 
do you want to call it out to the person that you know has killed Stokes? <laughs> do you do you want to know? Do you want to push her to the point where you've put yourself on the line? Um, you know, it's it's one of those uh, it's one of those really odd moments where you're kind of going you're you're going toe to toe with someone that you know has murdered to further her career or you think has murdered to further her career. Um, I'm not too sure whether he's going to survive the series. I think you might be right, John. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I had the final shootout as, um, as one of my points as well. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah, it's pretty much covered in there. We also see that, you know, the, the, the media that's there is recording it all. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, is this going to get played out once again to the detriment of Luke Cage yeah. or will it show, um, maybe a, a more protective side? I mean, whilst it shows him sort of almost protecting Misty Knight, mm-hmm. Will that be seen as him kidnapping her? Um, you know, when there's the shootout in Cottonmouth's old office, all you see is Luke Cage and Misty Knight. You don't see Willis Stryker. Yeah. Um, so is the assumption there that it's Luke Cage being fired at by Misty Knight or, uh, he's the one using a gun against a police officer and then is kidnapping her? So it'll be really interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, we've seen a lot in this. Uh, series about the media being used to give a particular slant on a narrative rather yeah. than reporting ultimately the truth. Really? Um, That's such yeah. a weird thing to happen for the news. And exactly. Media, isn't, it? <laughs> isn't it so weird? Yeah. Um, freedom of speech? Maybe not. Uh-huh. I don't know. But it's really interesting to see how that sort of pans out. Yeah, I'm really hoping that they're going to use this footage to exonerate Luke uh, in some way, to show him as being the hero of Harlem again, you know. Uh, we've only got a couple more episodes to go, and this has to happen. He has to end the series on a high and to be the hero so that he can go on. Does um, he? I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. Yeah, but I don't think he, the end of the series for him may be that he's no longer the hero of Harlem, mm. and that's why he's pulled as part of the defenders maybe maybe uh interesting we'll see we'll see how that plays out um i've got a couple of notes about the episode um number one i absolutely love i think i I didn't mention it in my notes of last episode but i love that mariah keeps calling luke cage a super freak uh which is which is a song by rick james a very popular song from uh from late 70s early 80s um i just love that that's her term for the super powered individual super freak we should have thought of that in uh, years ago yeah really cool super freak (laughs) (laughs) exactly Um, also one of the nice little call outs I liked in the episode is uh, is when Willis Stryker is talking to Misty uh, before he shoots her um, and says did you miss me again showing that connection he knows he got to her when he had the gun pointed at her head Uh, he knows how strong a character she is and I like there's now a personal connection between the two of them because he released her and didn't kill her when he had the opportunity to do it I like just the way it was called out here yeah, uh, for me, just a few notes. I love the the phrase "power doesn't travel" that Willis uh, says to Mariah when she arrives at his his uh, base um, or, or warehouse. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought that was a really nice uh, little line. Yeah, I, I love. It does com- travel in science, but not in. Yeah, uh, I love the com- <laughs> I love the conversation. You know, sell the fear to the politicians. You know, go after the cops, and obviously. That is what sparks everything off. So mm-hmm. I really like that. We obviously have, um, the X-Files moment with the, the microfiche, um, film being mm-hmm. looked through by Misty Knight where she suddenly realizes that Carl Lucas is Luke Cage where you have that revelation. So that's a nice little touch, you know, that, that old school, um, investigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it was something I think used heavily in the wire as well where they're going through those um uh photo films uh, uh-huh. on on I, did, I think it's a microfiche um 
machine um, or something. So that that was really cool as well. A nice little callback. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of that, I did read about the Easter egg, so I had to go back and have a look at it myself. It is there. Uh, there is an Easter egg right beside the new story of um, of Carl Lucas being arrested, uh, which is a reference to Back to the Future. If you pause it and read the article, it's about a Dr. Martin Brand this time. So Marty McFly and Dr. Emmett Brand from Back to the Future. Uh, it's about him creating uh, something like the flux capacitor, although they call it a thrust capacitor. So that's a reference to Back to the Future. A nice little Easter egg in there, but cool. one you definitely wouldn't know to see. I don't know how anybody caught it. Very um, cool. But somebody was pausing it and going very slowly through the episode, uh, particularly on those articles. So. Yeah, yes, you were. <laughs> I was, I was. Uh, not, not any other articles that stood out as being, uh, as being, uh, references to Marvel Comics or anything like that. Uh, but there was one of the good headline, which was the, uh, the search for the fire department ch- uh, chief heats up, which I just thought was a funny little headline, but it had no connection to anything else. <laughs> and, oh, that, that just, the editor there just deserved, deserves yeah. to be fired. I'm sure they went <laughs> off to work for the sun afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Didn't really talk about Lonnie. In our discussions at all, but Lonnie was the kid in the first episode who was getting his hair cut by Pops, and his mother was the soon-to-be lawyer that was coming on to Luke Cage in episode one. I'm liking that they're kind of giving that call back to the first and second episode where those two characters were in there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, eight episodes later, it's difficult to remember some of the characters that were on the earlier episodes, but uh, I love that Lonnie's standing up for Luke the whole time. He's saying, there's no way he killed a cop. You don't know him at all. Luke wouldn't do anything like that. He obviously has kind of known Luke over these last six or seven months from going and getting his hair cut and pops. Um, there's also, as well, another lawyer here. Uh, I'm wondering if this character, Lonnie's mother, will become more important to other shows like Daredevil, where we do have a lot of lawyers in there. Um, we have Hogarth obviously going to be in uh, Iron Fist. Potentially she may go and have her first job over in uh, Hogarth's um Law agency, uh, you know, there could, this character could go on in some of the other series. We've got lots of lawyers in there. So, uh, just a little note about those characters. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think with that, it's over to the defense of this episode. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage? I do. Um, it's even though some of its foibles are there and it, it's somewhat comical in the the portrayal of some of the plot points it still gave a lot of revelations in terms of and a more culmination of questions that we've had for quite some time mm-hmm. um it again ends on a cliffhanger but again we we've talked about this before this is a binging built style show yeah um so that's why they do this so that you want to in the, the next 10 seconds press play i am so glad though it didn't end with luke getting shot and him in pain <laughs> this time so i'd be like five yeah. that's five <laughs> yeah um but no it, it, it's it's a good episode it has some uh high points uh it feels slower than the rest of them mm-hmm. but i feel that this is the it it's the the plateau before the the apex right it's we're just they're clearing a lot of the rubble um, and or in terms of storyline, to try to flatten that out and go, okay, here's the resolution of this, 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 this. Mm-hmm. Now let's go for the big things and big finish. Yeah. And again, we've got three good episodes left, three hours where they can pretty much do the the length of a film mm-hmm. of what's important and f- tying it all together. Um, I just hope to see some of the the other details like burn scenes. Now that he's got those files, what will happen? Hopefully they just don't leave it just like that. Mm. Hopefully we get to see something more. Um, but overall, yeah, and I'm just happy 
that the the Reva arc is dead, and now we can uh, move past that into the the or or I should say, R.I.P. Carl Lucas. Welcome, Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. But Derek, do you defend this episode? I do defend this episode. Yeah, I think there's there's some really big uh, things in this episode that I loved, uh, particularly Mariah Dillard's speech, um, the incitement uh, of the the people of Harlem versus uh, the police force saying they're going to shut everything down if the police don't capture Luke Cage. Uh, thought that was really well put together as a scene. Love the revelations about Reva, even though it negated one of my points from last episode. I really did enjoy the episode overall. And, of course, that church scene, the flashback that's in there, so well put together as a scene. Really, really, really enjoyed it, definitely. Uh, John, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage? I do as well. Um, yeah, I mean, this for me is four dysfunctional relationships out of five. <laughs> um, like, it, it's, it's really good. I love the revelation of Reva, as we've said. I love the revelation of, uh, Carl Lucas's father and the fact that him and Willis are brothers. Um, I really thought this was a great revelation. And the Reva one in particular, we kind of knew that, that, well, at least that there was a strong hint that Willis Stryker was his brother. Yeah, um, Chris got it completely right. Nailed on, nail on the head that uh, the mother was someone that worked for him, that he disowned him because yeah. uh, it was an extramarital affair. Well done, Chris. Yeah, um, whereas the Reva one was that left field, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good that that happened. But at the same time, it was, you know, about Claire Temple and Luke having that solid kind of um, relationship f- from a plutonic kind of point of view, which I, I thought was, um, really good. And at the same time, we saw an evolving relationship between Mariah, uh, and Willis Stryker. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really good. And sort of within the, the background and something that's being tackled in this show is this idea of in a deliberate narrative to build tension to build conflict within a community was there in the background Mm -hmm. and actually the playing out of that in real ways such as you know this this um this this beatdown of an innocent child and just the tensions and pressures that result from that and, and the responses to that were in this case it is to try and extract as much of that as possible to really heighten those tensions mm-hmm. rather than to try and settle them so i thought this was a really good really good episode yeah. um and so yeah i do defend this this episode of of luke cage cool on to a bit of feedback so our feedback comes from robert phillips over in our facebook group firstly robert laments the personal dedication to only watching as fast as the lovely podcasting trio he says it's kind of troubling me these past three episodes really sorry sorry for that robert uh yeah obviously with our with our uh, doctor strange coverage our interview with uh, justin swain we've actually kind of irritated i think some of our listeners who are listening along with our podcast which is going over a little bit longer than we intended originally yeah, well, I'm completely with Robert. I mean, we always have been. We've always been delayed by the matron, Derek O'Neill. <laughs> <laughs> so completely um, understand. But, I mean, yeah, well, let's hope we uh, we brought you a few goodies in between with Justin Swain's interview and uh, Doctor Strange. Well, I mean, to be honest, on that regard... Um, I've been waiting 39 years. That's correct, yeah. <laughs> 39 years. 
that is true. So at least you got a bit of fun, hopefully, out of Doctor Strange as well. So, But Robert goes on to say, what struck me this episode, uh, Mariah continues her character arc, mirror, mirroring Kingpin, perhaps, politician turning criminal as Fisk stepped from criminal to mayoral candidate. Uh, the unhinged Dimeback steps even further away from acceptable gangster behavior, splattering NYPD and peaceful protesters. Uh, finding the link of Stryker as the bastard half-brother, and really annoyingly, Claire undertakes an impressively innovative defibrillation of Luke's heart, except it was a flat line, not fibrillating, very, very, very wibbly ECG, and she should have just been jumping on his chest. Loads of points there, Robert, condensed into a tiny little paragraph uh, that we probably talked about in our entire episode there. Yeah, Mariah is absolutely mirroring Kingpin's arc. I think we talked about it in this episode, really, that... Um, we do think the character is a bit more well-defined, actually, than Kingpin was even. Uh, Mariah has been a really well-defined character in the show so far. She's certainly more, I suppose, relatable in many respects because, you know, she she's, I suppose, desperate to uh, throw off the shackles of uh, Mama Mabel. She's desperate to do right by her community, and yet she's touched by the past of Mama Mabel and, and what she did and there is that money th- issue obviously with Cottonmouth previously mm. but also the need to finance um, her public office uh, yeah. aspirations so like I mean it, it's kind of how the mighty have fallen but you can see that she's trying to be mighty in yeah. a sense so yeah. you can you can sense that um want to to achieve in her but she's just going about it in a way that is corrupt and fairly nasty yeah whereas it kind of (laughs) felt like uh, wilson fisk was hiding that side of him from the public he always had been a criminal um it seemed like in in daredevil yeah and i think because you got it in flashback as well then it just meant that it did feel as though wilson fisk came already fully formed very rich, very powerful, knowing what he wanted to do. You did get a, his backstory, obviously. I'm not saying you didn't find out the reasons behind that. Yeah. But because it was in flashback, this I, I much prefer. I feel as though we're seeing the current transformation yeah. of Mariah Dillard into um, someone who has these aspirations and falls. And we're also getting her backstory with the Mama Mabel. So I just feel there's an extra dimension here, which is really good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As for Claire and her uh, her ECG abilities of bringing back a flatline person with a defibrillator, that's pretty impressive and, yeah, almost impossible. I think I actually did see a few comments on uh, on Twitter around the time that the episodes were coming out uh, from a couple of our listeners, actually, at the time. Um, so I kind of knew that there was going to be a moment that would be a suspension of medical disbelief, not only just our standard suspension of superhero disbelief. Uh, yeah, it's... it's pretty impossible she would have been able to bring Luke back. back Yeah, I mean, there's a few moments, though, I think, with that. I mean, firstly, we don't really feel as though she's taken all the shrapnel out either. Mm. It looked like it was just one wound, and we knew that he had two. And then, obviously, then, yeah, um, you know, she's effectively doing um, a medium-rare steak um, by by chucking through the... uh, She may as well have put him in... uh, fan of an on about 180 for mm. not quite a long time actually <laughs> Probably. Um, but yeah i mean ultimately yeah it it it's kind of did suspend um, disbelief a bit uh, i think sometimes that can happen in the attempt to be real with regards to his 
his unbreakableness, mm-hmm. which sometimes I feel as though they don't really need to do. They don't need to put it into science. Then actual scientific stuff is reverted a bit to cliche yeah. um, and effectively um, complete and utter fiction. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, thank you so much again for your feedback, Robert. Really good to hear from you. And really good to hear from anybody who has feedback on these episodes. We are running into our last three episodes, which will be released every Tuesday and Friday as we go through the rest of our podcast. If you want to send us some feedback, you can email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com or you can go and join our Facebook group over at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV Podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Robert, for, for the feedback. It's really appreciated. Thanks so much for joining us. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do. Uh, just go through defenderstvpodcast.com slash iTunes or through any good or evil podcast catcher by searching for Defenders TV Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us again. Yeah, absolutely. Please don't hang and don't bang. It was great, again, going through this like fantastic series of Luke Cage uh, and this episode, really solid, and can't wait to, to be back and speak with you next time. Bye. Do I for now? Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye. You think I'm holding back? Thanks for listening to Defenders TV Podcast, a TV podcast industries production. Our theme tunes provided by the wonderful Mississippi McDonald and the Cottonmouth Kings. If you want to help out the podcast and you've enjoyed listening to us, there's some really easy ways to do it. If you can share our episodes through your social media channels like Twitter, Reddit, Facebook or Google Plus, that gets some extra listeners into us. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes or a rating, just leave a five-star rating, click the button, or go to iTunes through DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes. We'll take you straight to our page and leave us a review or a rating there. That always helps out independent podcasts. And also, as always, we love to hear your feedback about the show's interaction with our audience is what we really, really love. So you can send us feedback to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.